Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Breaking Barriers in Collaborative Care. Uh, we aim to bridge the gap between healthcare professionals and patients, providing valuable insights, discussing common challenges, and exploring innovative solutions. Get ready for candid conversations, expert interviews, and practical advice that empowers patients to take control of their health while fostering stronger relationships with their healthcare providers. I am so excited because today we have Sophie, who is a registered midwife here in Ontario and actually works in Hamilton with Community Midwives. So thank you so much, Sophie, for coming today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here, Courtney. I'm so excited for our conversation and I just want to delve right in because I feel like we have a lot to get through and unfortunately not a lot of time. So right off the hop, I would love for you to delve in to our listeners of what is a midwife? Because I think there's, even though this has been something that has been around for uh, 30 years now, right? Registered here in Ontario. And I would love more folks to really know what does a midwife do? Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions. Absolutely. So it's a great question. So midwives, we're autonomous healthcare providers. We care for low-risk, uncomplicated pregnancies, right? So we see clients as soon as they come into care when they're pregnant. We catch or deliver their baby, and we see them for up to six uh, weeks of postpartum care. So you do really get this individualized type of care that's full spectrum, right? Um, that focuses on the pregnant person and the family unit. So it is a holistic type of care. Um, and that's what I love about midwifery care. And that's why I became a midwife. Yeah. That's awesome. And I do, I am biased. I did use a midwife for the birth of my son and I actually did the midwifery program at McMaster. And I do have to say that is how I know Sophie outside of her being a guest today. Yeah. Um, so I definitely do have a special place in my heart for midwives and the care that they provide. And I guess I alluded to it a little bit by saying I, I went to McMaster and did that program. But I, w I would love for you to talk a little bit about that, that education piece because it, it's not easy. It's not um, something that folks are just walking off the street and saying, I'm a midwife. I'm going to come catch your baby. <laughs> there's yeah. there's a, a lot to it. Absolutely. It's a really tough program. So um, in Ontario, of course, like there's uh, multiple different ways in terms of becoming a midwife, right? And a registered midwife, um, you would typically in Ontario uh, access one of the two midwifery programs currently either at McMaster or at TMU, Toronto Metropolitan University. Um, it is a Bachelor of Health Sciences program where you could apply directly from um, high school. However, most folks find that it is a very competitive program to get into. Um, so usually many of our midwives will have some sort of university background before applying to this direct entry program, although there are a few midwives who may have um, been really successful at being able to get into the Bachelor of Midwifery uh, program at either McMaster or TMU straight from high school. It is a four-year intensive program. It's a clinical program. So um, the first about year and a half, you do your required courses around physiology, anatomy, um, pharmacology, all right? Stuff. All of all of the fun. You know, this just brings back happy, happy oh, memories. Yes. <laughs> um, and then uh, you do several um, immersive clinical placements, right? So um, some are, of course, at midwifery practices where you learn the foundational skills of catching a baby. Um, but we do also uh, do a lot of interprofessional um, placements 
with our obstetric colleagues, lactation specialists, pelvic floor specialists, and anyone who, for example, um, we would interface with on a day-to-day -day basis as a registered midwife. And so it is a very involved program. The tr training is significant, um, but it's, it sets us up for what we do every day. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a lot of responsibility, uh, yeah. your role. And I would love to delve into what that scope of practice looks like. Because again, I think that there's a lot of um, unknowns. When folks hear a midwife, I don't believe that their brain goes to the reality of what a midwife yeah. is and really does and um, what what it involves through that um, that care of not just being pregnant or when you're in labor or postpartum. There's mm -hmm. the, It's very involved throughout that entire time. Yeah, absolutely. So when you step into a midwifery clinic, uh, you get the full spectrum of prenatal care that you would expect at, you know, your family doctor's office or your obstetrician's office in the sense that we do see you regularly throughout your care and your pregnancy. Um, and of course, the visits do become much closer together towards the end of pregnancy with the idea of we put quite a lot of emphasis on delivery planning. Mm -hmm. um, our appointments are anywhere between half an hour to an hour. So, you know, outside of the fact that we would do your regular like blood pressure, fetal heart rate check. Um, we also would collect blood work or any urine samples or any swabs that you might need throughout your pregnancy. We'll give you requisitions for your standard uh, blood work that you would be offered at any family doctor obstetrician's office, as well as um, we'd order ultrasounds that you might need. So again, that like routine prenatal care uh, we're able to offer you. Um, and then in uh, you know, labor and delivery, you have options in terms of whether or not you want to have a home birth, a hospital birth, or if you live in Toronto or Ottawa, you have the option of a birth center. So it is really quite involved in both prenatally and your, your, during your labor and birth. Um, and then into the postpartum, we see you lots, right? For the first two weeks, um, we offer you home visits. Um, and the goal there is the first two weeks are so tough, right? You know, because you Absolutely. have a low one. <laughs> they can be really, really tough for parents that transition to parenthood, especially for first-time parents that support with feeding, um, making sure that that baby's back up to birth weight within the first two weeks, um, and uh, just making sure that you set that family up from a mental health perspective, from um, an entire family perspective for success. And having midwifery care was amazing in, in all ways for me personally, but that postpartum care, um, I would just say is invaluable. Like yeah. Knowing that your midwife is coming to you, first of all, was mm -hmm. amazing. That I didn't have to leave the house right away with a little right. one, which can be a little daunting. Um, and then also knowing that I had someone on the other end of a phone too that I could mm -hmm. call if, if there was an emergency or, or something and someone who I could trust and that I just built this amazing relationship with throughout that entire time which I know can be very different from um, other forms of care. And, Absolutely. Um, that it, it's just, I get so excited when I talk about midwifery to people and yeah. tell them about it, especially folks that don't know about it or who have misconceptions. I love sharing what a midwife 
does, what that care is, and how they really join your family for that period of time. So that last appointment is is so hard to say goodbye. Yeah, the graduation visit, yes. the last six week postpartum <laughs> visit can be so tough, both for the clients and the midwife, right? Because exactly. in many ways, you're so happy that your families are doing so well, but it's also like a goodbye and maybe see you for another pregnancy. Yeah. And so it, it is a really, really tough visit. And I'd say that for even in the postpartum period, for example, um, if uh, clients have a baby who need additional um, visits above and beyond what we would routinely offer, we do do that for clients, mainly because sometimes babies might need a jaundice treatment under the lights known as phototherapy, or they might need extra pokes to ensure that they're not getting onto that phototherapy line or needing phototherapy. And so we do, many of us, many clinics will set, have the setup of being able to do that blood work within your own home and space. Um, it is subject to variation amongst the communities, but definitely like a benefit for clients in terms of not needing to, you know, put their baby in the car seat and having to drive to the hospital or yeah. another clinic to do that type of testing as well, which is a bonus. Absolutely. And if those things are necessary, I think that's another great thing mm -hmm. about midwifery is this collaborative model of working with other professionals and knowing that line of when your scope kind of ends and mm -hmm. when maybe someone else needs to be brought in or when uh, complementary uh, folks like a lactation consultant maybe yeah. uh, might uh, be brought in to help families. Uh, do you find that that collaborative model works well and that um, I know it's different community to community and how they work with other healthcare providers, but what are your feelings on that model? I definitely feel like, you know, as midwives, we're able to intersect with all these various healthcare providers with the goal that we keep the client and the family at the center, right? And when your thoughts are um, when your intentions in the type of care that you provide are that that person um, is at the center of that care, then you're able to interface with all these different healthcare providers to get them to their goals, which is amazing. Certainly for clients who are breast or chest feeding, you know, we would offer lots of feeding support at home, but, you know, we, we know when to bring in extra specialists and lactation consultants. Um, naturally, we collaborate with our pediatric colleagues and our obstetric colleagues. Um, we know from the research that when midwives are at the center of our health Healthcare, um, that people who are pregnant and their babies have better outcomes. They're more likely to have spontaneous vaginal births. They're more likely um, to initiate uh, breastfeeding. They're more likely to be satisfied with their birth experiences. They're less likely to need um, episiotomies or have third or fourth degree tears or need um, extra interventions, right? And we see that from not just uh, research that's come out of Ontario and British Columbia and Canada, we see that across the world where midwives are at the center of the healthcare system, right? Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why the United Nations in 2020 designated it the year of the midwife, right? Yeah, um, and I think that's and wild to me that uh, I think about midwifery and th this isn't new. We've been no. using midwives <laughs> since, you know, yes. the first baby yes. was born. Yeah. There, there was a midwife there yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. Um, so the fact that, you know, it's it's taken um, so long for it to 
catch on, I guess, here. Yeah. Um, and that it takes um, an organization like the UN, this body, to say, you know, we need to put more focus on this. Mm-hmm. That there are nations like um, Australia or UK where they use midwives so much more. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that that was something that was so interesting to me when I first started looking at midwifery was, what, what's wrong with our healthcare model here? Why aren't we utilizing these professionals? Um, and I, it's something that was very interesting. And I still don't have an answer to that because I still don't know why we're not using them more. Um, do you have any insight as to why you think that might be? Or is it yeah, a so I think, thing? Or? Absolutely. I think there's a couple of things. So like the formation of midwifery, right? The regulation of midwifery and how midwives came to be. Um, you know, in Canada, sometimes it is a marginalized profession. And that comes with its own history of marginalization. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other piece around it is I think there's a lot of misconceptions around our training, uh, around what we do. Um, You know, sometimes, you know, I go, I remember going with my uh, partner to his uh, work office party and somebody asked me if uh, I did it you know, I became a midwife and it was a weekend course, right? Oh, and so <laughs> there's really <laughs> a lot of misconceptions around midwives and what we yeah. do. The other, um, you know, concern I think that people may have or misconceptions that they may have is they think if uh, you have a midwife, you absolutely must have a home birth, right. right? That's a pretty big misconception. In reality, in Ontario, approximately 20% of people will have like an out-of-hospital birth. Um, and the remainder uh, are within a hospital system. Mm-hmm. There's also misconceptions around, you know, what what happens in terms of like if somebody wants to access um, pain management options like narcotics or epidurals and whatnot, and they uh, are under the impression that they absolutely cannot have a midwife if, mm-hmm. if for example, they are choosing these types of you know pain management options, and that's mm-hmm. not really true either. Yeah. Um, and so, and there's also the you know around marginalization of midwifery. There's the idea that you know if you use midwives that you're settling for less care or not as great care, you know, compared to our obstetric colleagues who, you know, we appreciate, we um, we understand that they have specialized training in surgery and vacuums and forceps. And, you know, their scope is a little bit different from our scope. Um, However, we do work in a collaborative way. And I think that that is an important part of why um, folks don't often think about midwives. Um, the other piece, I believe, is that there's not enough of us sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. Um, some communities do have very long wait lists, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of the issues that, you know, the retention of midwives within our province, but also our ability to meet the demand, um, which can be really, really high in some communities. Yeah, and I know that there is just as a whole a, a really difficult um time right now for accessing this care mm-hmm. and is do you think that this is mainly because folks aren't wanting to become midwives or is it does it come down to the college of midwives and the amount of folks they're willing to take into the programs and um register each year yeah i think it's multifaceted yeah. right i think uh one of the things is government funding can only produce so many midwives right. and um anytime that you're training any healthcare professional there's only so many people who can train them right there's only so many midwives who can also provide this level of training Absolutely. so um the number of uh preceptors clinical preceptors that are available um the amount of funding for midwifery uh care as well as education um is part of the issue 
Um, and I do think that we also have a bit of an attrition, um, high attrition rate within our within our profession itself. So those are all multifaceted um, issues that contribute to lack of access to midwifery care. Mm -hmm. Although I would love for every person who is pregnant to be able to access a midwife. That is like the yeah. dream, I think, <laughs> for Canada is, Absolutely. is to have that Absolutely. available. Yeah. And then we have, we before we started recording today, we were discussing this idea of um, the birth deserts, yes. healthcare deserts, um, specifically um, we see them in Northern Ontario. So mm -hmm. not only do folks in, you know, a metropolitan area have a hard time accessing midwives, but then you go somewhere remote and it becomes absolutely impossible for, yeah. for most. Absolutely. So um, more and more I've been reading about the these maternity care deserts, right? Where outside of lack of access to midwifery care, you have lack of access to many different aspects of uh, maternal health and newborn care, which I think is um, absolutely unfortunate. You know, it does families a huge disservice. Mm -hmm. um, we know in our indigenous communities, right, that um, we have to evacuate or like there's this policy of forced evacuation of somebody who is pregnant so that they can access services in a community that's hours away from them, right? Um, and it is a, a cruel form of treatment during pregnancy. Imagine being removed from your family, your friends, elders within that community, uh, traditions, ceremony, right? It's mm -hmm. heartbreaking to think about. It really is. Um, and some communities, we know from the research that Indigenous midwives can bring birth back to their communities, right? And uh, the National Aboriginal Council of Midwives currently has a letter um, happening right now, a campaign trying to advocate for more Indigenous midwifery care. Uh, within their community so that we can keep birth within those communities, right? Yeah, and we're going to link that. Um, so if you feel called to to join this petition, um, please sign it. I was so blessed to be able to use Indigenous midwives and to have um, my culture brought into my experience of uh, pregnancy. I was able to use traditional medicines. I was able to um, learn actually more than, than I previously did by having these traditional healthcare providers, which was really special um, in such an important time of building family and bringing these traditions back. Yeah. And um, for a lot of folks, these are traditions that have been lost. Um, mm -hmm. So to have those brought back was really special. That's the case for my family, but others who are in these remote areas, that's their daily life. That's, mm -hmm. that's what they know. And to have the, the, the care removed, I, I couldn't imagine being hours away from um, potentially my partner, my mom, um, the yeah. folks who were my support system during that labor it's devastating. Is, is, is hard. It's really um, hard. And to then do yeah. that with strangers um, yeah. in a place that you may have never been. It is really terrible. So bringing this to the forefront, I think, is really important in how we can um, find these ways to break barriers. That is mm -hmm. a huge barrier um, to access of healthcare. Um, what what do we do? <laughs> because yeah. for me, you know, the, the solution is, hey, we need more we need more healthcare providers. We need to send them north, but it's not really that 
simple. It's it's not ever black and white. Yes. I think that uh, NACOM, the National Aboriginal Council of Midwives, has a lot of information about this, right? Like mm-hmm. about their advocacy efforts about how to keep midwives um, within Indigenous communities, how to promote midwives within those communities, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's many barriers, right, um, uh, in terms of funding. Also, Indigenous midwives um, work as part of uh, like a law exemption, right? So mm-hmm. the way that midwifery was established in Ontario was through the Midwifery Act, um, and Aboriginal midwives were as part of like an exemption to that act. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from from the start, there are barriers there from you know uh, a legal perspective in terms of how you fund uh, these programs. And so, I think that funding is a crucial part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And there may be a small number of people who may need to leave their communities to access very specialized care. Right. Um, the piece about this is ensuring that most people will more likely be able to s- stay within their communities if they had mm-hmm. access to midwives. Right. Um, and that's the piece. Absolutely. Um, and something that I, I'm very grateful to say that I was able to do um, with the midwives at Six Nations um, just up the road. So I do want to give them a little shout out too. Because <laughs> if you yeah. can um, utilize them, um, if you're Indigenous and you're looking for that care, um, re- reach out. <laughs> um, it, it's it's invaluable to that time of your life. And mm-hmm. if we can do more to bring awareness to that care and um to the outcomes that it brings, I think is what's really important. We're always looking at these issues and um, the outcomes, poor outcomes, and we're talking about this, but how, how do we change poor outcomes? Well, mm-hmm. the, the evidence is there. Mid- midwives change poor outcomes when it comes to yeah. um, BIPOC communities, but just um, as a whole, maternity and infant care. Yes. I think the idea is when you center, when you start to think about policy, right, when you center midwives um, to be like the um, the the middle person where everybody should be able to access a midwife and then structure services around that because we're such a connecting you know a, a connector right we can connect you to obstetricians if needed pediatricians if needed lcs if needed right yeah. so when you are able to center maternity care around midwifery care you start to see the way that our policies within hospitals change. You start to see the way that uh, we provide care to to people change, uh, the way that uh, they're able to access information. Right, a lot of you know things that are now the norm have come have been you know burst you know to punish <laughs> from midwives. This idea of you know delayed core clamping, skin to skin, right, informed. Uh, choice right that all comes from midwives and midwifery care and I think that is an important powerful thing in terms of being able to set up families for success because it's not just about having the ideal birth experience I very much feel in my core that the way that people birth sets up their family units it sets up how they parent it sets up how they uh, think about a future pregnancy um, for generations to come. So I think it's an important piece of how do we develop healthy communities. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and just to share a personal story from my own experience, um, I did not have what I envisioned as the 
ideal birth experience. I, I wanted to have a home birth and we were very close, but we did have to transfer and I ended up having a C-section. And because I was well prepared, um, we had had these conversations of outcomes and things that could happen because I felt supported. My midwife was able to be there with me through um, the transfer. She was right there with me um, when the C-section happened and was there when I when I left the operating room um, and having her there changed everything. Um, I knew that I was safe. I knew that what was happening was best for my baby, but being able to see her and having those reminders yeah. was incredible. And um, we, when we were told we were going to have to have a, a C-section, I was like, all right, let's, let's go. My mm -hmm. partner was actually the one who was so distraught. <laughs> and um, afterwards we talked about it and I said, what, like, what, why were you so upset? Like, yeah. Were you scared? He said, I just knew that was the last thing that you wanted. Right. And I said, you're, you're right. That was the last thing that I wanted when we talked about planning. But then when it came down to it, I was prepared. Um, I didn't feel like I was unsafe. I wasn't unsure of what was going to happen. I knew every step of the way that, that it was going to be okay and that this was the best way for our baby to be born. That was the way he decided to come was sunroof. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <was> sunroof. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, part of that is because I think you felt informed throughout the entire time, exactly. right? Um, and when we are talking about, you know, preventing trauma and birth, it's not necessarily that every person who um, must have a vaginal birth in order for them to not have trauma. Yeah. There are people who have vaginal births who experience trauma. Absolutely. Right? It is about how we conduct birth, yes. right? And that's the big part of it is to prevent trauma to set up that family for success it is about that every step of the way you are informed you have mm -hmm. choices laid out you understand what's happening you're understanding why your midwives are recommending some of the things that they are exactly. right um and being able to tap into those options even though it may have started prenatally as mm -hmm. like the last choice that you were picturing right yeah. You ended up feeling maybe at peace with that choice because yeah. of the journey of how how it came to be. Exactly, and it was honestly a very empowering thing to then look mm -hmm. back on and see. Like, I I still felt so good about these things that happened. My um, birth story is one that I love and I'm proud yeah. of. And when I think about it, it makes me feel really good. And yeah. I know that not everyone gets that. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, I've I've been there with folks who had um, awful experiences and now have to kind of deal with that as they're already going through something so difficult of becoming a parent, maybe if it's their right. first. Um, so unraveling all of that trauma while perhaps dealing with no sleep <laughs> or, yes. or all these other things, pain, yes. you know, that come mm -hmm. along. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all those postpartum expectations yes. that, you know, are... If it's your first baby, right, chances are many of us have never been to another birth outside of our own, yeah, right? Absolutely. And it becomes really dramatic, like mm -hmm. the, uh, the, just the switch from, from being somebody who's pregnant or to somebody who's now postpartum and having a child and taking care of that child and your body changes and your mood changes. Absolutely. There's so much to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, having the midwife there, really um, brought peace to a time yeah. that I think for for others, you know, you hear that word C-section. Mm -hmm. um, and for some are like, great, yeah, let's go. For me, yeah. that that wasn't the 
the way I had envisioned. So For sure. um, allowing things to happen and having that empowerment and knowledge was just incredible. That wouldn't have happened without having that role in, in my care. And I think that mm-hmm. I already had all of this knowledge. I think about that all the time. I already did the program. I already knew these things. Right. Yet having the midwife was so invaluable of reminding me <laughs> right. when I'm in those moments of mm-hmm. you, you know this. And I think about folks who have never been around birth, like you said, um, it might be their their first child and their first time witnessing birth and it's them living through it. Yeah. Um, and having the midwife walk you through explaining things before, mm-hmm. during, after. Yeah. It, it really is this all-encompassing um, care that you you may not get with another provider. You may not yeah. have an hour to sit there and and, you know, pull apart every moment of that labor and delivery. Oh, for sure. Um, I know my, I just took my son for his six-month appointment, and the doctor said, have we had your postpartum appointment yet? Oh, and no. I said, <laughs> I, said, I said, unfortunately, no, but but I, I had at least my six-week right. um, appointment with the midwife, so we know yeah. we're good there. But, you know, six months later saying, hey, did we do this? Yes, yes. Things, and things fall through the hat sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. And the nice thing about midwifery care, too, is like, if you need a pap, we'll do it for you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're due for a pap, it's that wraparound holistic care. Um, you know, if you needed any follow-up blood work in the postpartum, we'll do that for you. So, um, which is fantastic. And even in the scenario of a C-section now, you, your care was with Indigenous uh, midwives, with registered midwives who have hospital privileges, um, we wear the hat of being the most responsible uh, care provider for your baby, right? Mm -hmm. Unless the baby needs to go to a nursery and be under pediatric care. Um, And so we're there just very similar to the way that your indigenous midwives were, um, except the baby will fall under our care in the hospital chart, which means that we'll do like all of the head to toe newborn exam, which your midwives would have done as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But for anything, for any additional hospital follow up, uh, we're able to offer that for you, right? Which is amazing. The the scope of of care that midwives have, Mm I think could still be a little bigger, but we don't really have to get into that right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. Um, but it's just, um, it is amazing what that care encompasses. Um, and the, the testing and, and all of the, the responsibilities that a midwife has mm-hmm. that folks really don't understand. Yeah. Or I think when they hear the word midwife, unless they've had a midwife or they know a midwife, then I think they can really um, start to, to respect what that title really holds and, and what it means. Yeah. I think that for a lot of my clients, it's very interesting. Those like at that six week discharge visit, they do say like, I came into midwifery care unsure of what I would expect, right? Or for example, like I knew that if I needed a C-section or obstetric care that I would get that. I just heard my friends have like a really good experience. And so this is why I came. And then I remember one of my clients saying, like, I came to midwifery care for the postpartum care, but I didn't realize that it wasn't just about the baby care. I didn't realize how much I needed that care, right? And, you know, <laughs> it, it brings you, like, this is why we do it, right? Absolutely. This is absolutely why we do it. And um, I do feel like, you know, there are folks who need, um, who are low risk, uncomplicated, right? Who could absolutely benefit from midwives. But if you're listening to this podcast and you're not sure whether you fall into that category, 
and you're pregnant and interested in learning more about midwifery care, I just say, call up the clinic, call up a clinic that's near you, right? Fill out an intake form, right? Your midwives will be able to tell you whether or not you're appropriate for midwifery care. And the reality is that sometimes, depending on the circumstance, we might do a shared care model with our obstetricians, or there's ways that we collaborate with other care providers so that, again, we keep that client at the center. Which, again, I don't think people know that that is um, an option, that if you have a midwife and something happens and you now don't fall within that realm of low-risk, normal um, pregnancy Mm -hmm. for some reason or or labor or postpartum, something happens, that you can work in conjunction with whoever is now coming Mm -hmm. to take over care, whether that be an obstetrician or whoever. Yeah. So it is one of those things where, you know, there are folks who are absolutely like, you know, should be under obstetric or MFM, like maternal fetal medicine care. And we will, you know, we will inform them of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are folks who, um, you know, maybe would benefit from some sort of like combined share care where we could care for them for up to 20, 30 weeks. And then if they're choosing a repeat cesarean section, then we would, you know, touch base with our obstetric colleagues, but continue to provide that postpartum care, which like, let's face it, someone after they've had a C-section, how important is that? Oh, let me tell you, it is important. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, um, or for example, you know, maybe sometimes we do, um, you know, a transfer of care to obstetrics up to 36, 37 weeks, and then they're back into our care because now they're term. Right. Right. The risk of preterm birth is no longer there and we're able to pick up care and kind of go from there. Of course, all of these things are very individualized. They're very community driven. Right. Each community will have their own guidelines, will have their own ways of working um, both uh, among their own midwifery practice as well as with their obstetric colleagues. Mm-hmm. But I, what I would recommend is if you're not sure if you're an appropriate candidate for midwifery care, you know, call, call a clinic, fill out an intake sheet, right? And they'll be able to chat with you about it. You know, I've had cases where um, I wasn't sure whether clients, for example, are appropriate for midwifery care. I've brought them in, you know, and said, like, let's talk about your history. Let's talk about, like, let's do a deep dive into your medical and obstetric history. And then to be able to determine, like, you know, what services do we need to wrap around you, right? Um, or, like, do you, do we do a straight transfer to MFM and I wish you all the best? You know what I mean? So um, there are ways that... Uh, that we can engulf clients in a lot of services to, again, break down those barriers, break down those um, very significant like logistical barriers and healthcare system barriers that exist. Absolutely. And just while we're talking about um, collaborative model and working with um, other healthcare providers, there's kind of this new, I don't want to call it a fad, but I guess fad where a lot of folks are um, getting vitamin cocktails and different things. Um, sure. through IVs and yes. um, I'm just wondering is this something yeah. that is popular in for in pregnancy or postpartum or is this just kind of in the realm outside of that is that something a midwife yeah. would offer if you um, needed a B vitamin would they t- give you an IV or iron what's kind of the course around that still yeah because I know it's big for folks specifically, you know, after drinking, they'll go get a, <laughs> a vitamin um, yeah. IV to help them feel better. So I do see yeah. these vitamin IVs popping up in different areas more and more. Is this something that is now bleeding into 
the care of um, pregnancy as well because I could see where its benefits could potentially lie, lie um, with iron. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of folks have low iron. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, so we we have standard like preconception counseling where we recommend uh, folic acid or prenatal vitamin uh, three months before pregnancy with the idea of like trying to prevent open neural tube defects. Most people know spina bifida as being one of them, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, for somebody who might be anemic in pregnancy or have low iron in pregnancy, um, as midwives, we will investigate, you know, why they have low iron, right? Sometimes it might be because um, of iron deficiency anemia or a pregnancy-related process that causes low iron. Some, sometimes it might be due to genetic reasons, right? Like they might have uh, something like thalassemia, right? right? And so we will prescribe iron supplements based on um, that person's individual clinical picture um, and target those doses based on what they need in order for them to have like good healthy iron stores in preparation for labor and birth. Um, that being said, if for instance, you know, we've tried iron supplementation and they're taking oral iron and we've tried the different things, maybe changed the brand, changed the dosage and we're not seeing improvements. Um, then we might, you know, chat with, um, you know, maybe a family doctor or an obstetrician around IV iron, right? Because maybe there are some folks who are severely anemic, who to set them up for a really important like birth and postpartum course, they might need IV iron in their pregnancy. And so that is something that we might do. Um, and we would talk to clients about that on an individual basis based on their medical history genetic history um again this is very individualized type of care right that we offer mm -hmm. and we would kind of go down that route if needed yeah and i would say that's i love everything about midwifery let's be real yeah. but one of my favorite <laughs> things is that there is no no blanket care there yeah. is no blanket midwifery care where this is what we do for everyone right like mm -hmm. you you really look at every individual person in front of you yeah. and tailor the care that they are going to receive to what they really need. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And and that is with anything that, you know, clients come to us about any sort of question. It's not a, this is what you should do. It is a, here are the options. Here's the research. Here's the information. Right. right? And I think that informed choice piece can be such a big part it's not only Absolutely. a tenant of midwifery care but it's the um it's the thing that brings people to midwifery and keeps them there for i think future pregnancies as well yeah. absolutely and uh i feel like we could talk forever <laughs> but, absolutely, yeah but um yeah but as as um sophie said if you want to know more about midwifery care if you want to know if it's appropriate for you uh Google your, your town, your city, and midwifery, and it'll show up if, if there's a local mm -hmm. uh, midwifery clinic to you. You can reach out to them. There's always contact information on their page, and there will be a sheet that you can fill out, an intake form online for most of them. Mm -hmm. I imagine now is online. Yeah. Um, and they'll get back to you, or you can go to um, Ontario Midwives have a website, which has a lot of really great information along with, um, I believe, um, the College of Canadian Midwives also has a great um, website that has a lot of, lot of info <laughs> as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we can link those too. Yeah, for sure. So um, call up one of our clinics, right? And they'll be able to 
uh, tell you how to fill out an intake form. A lot of the misconceptions is you need a referral to have a midwife, okay, right? Yeah. And you really don't. It's a self-refer process that's covered by OHEP, so you don't have to worry about any out-of-pocket expense. Yes, that is key. A piece that we need yeah. to talk about is that it is covered by OHIP. That yes. This is a regular yes. um, healthcare option for yeah. folks who yeah. are pregnant. Um, so don't lose out on that opportunity. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And especially for anyone who's uninsured, who doesn't have OHIP, midwives are actually um, really important care providers for uh, those populations because we do have government funding that covers our care. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you are somebody who doesn't have OHIP, who is pregnant, please, please contact your midwifery clinic that is local to you as early as you can. Um, so that we can set you up with care um, because there are additional fees that are associated if you were to go and see a family doctor or an obstetrician um, while, important. you know, on, while in Ontario, we do have government funding that covers midwifery care for uninsured clients. So that is an important population that we also service. Mm -hmm. um, and we would do a deep dive with that client on a one-to-one -one basis in terms of like what out of out of pocket costs they might need to incur. Right, um, a lot of important information and good mm -hmm. information. And um, if you want to hear more from Sophie, she is going to be starting her own podcast. That's right. <laughs> so uh, watch this space, and we will share uh, when Sophie's uh, podcast is coming out, so that you can hear more from her and about midwifery care and uh, some really great topics that she uh, gave me a little tidbit, a little sneak peek info <laughs> into of what's to come. So yeah. um, you'll definitely want to stay tuned um, to hear from her. So thank you so much, Sophie, for coming today, talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart. Thank you so um, much for having me. Hopefully we can uh, continue talking um, to amazing guests like yourself and continue to navigate this complex world of healthcare <laughs> where transparency and honesty should be at the forefront. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Courtney.